How do you do, Venters? Donovan Roy is the Director of Academic Support Services for the Keck School of Medicine. He loves to motivate and inspire students. Please listen to hear more. With Trent the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell. I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity. That's crime in the night. Pick pop, keep the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road. Rochambeau, tic tac toe, crossing a road with the Nazi flow. With my industry, you see me room, room, play Monopoly. With my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the T's. T's. How do you do, Venters? So our guest today is my friend Donovan Roy, who is quite the pick-yourself-up-and-dust-yourself-off story. And Donovan is a seasoned higher educational um, professional who is um, uh, also a dynamic, inspirational speaker. He's a former athlete and a coach, and he just happens to be an expert in student development and he's um, currently the director, let me see if I can get this right, the director of academic support services for USC Keck School of Medicine. And so, um, Donovan, we want to welcome you to Vent with Trent the Gent. Thank you, Trent, for allowing me to be here. Hey, any, any time we, we can get together uh, is, is a good time. It is. <laughs> Hopefully I won't be too controversial and make a lot of people uh, upset. Oh, with some my, of my goodness. <laughs> we're going to go there today. I didn't, I didn't know where we're going to go. And, and we really quite never know where any of this is going to go. Yes, sir. And so um, we'll just roll with it and we'll, we'll see what, what happens. So I mentioned development. So speaking of development, when did you realize that you were... Um, destined to be a lineman in, in football. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. When uh, when I grew up, I wanted to be a receiver because all my cousins were receivers. They were little guys. And uh, I, myself, I was just as uh, fast and athletic as they were. So, you know, originally I wanted to be a receiver until I hit about uh, 9 or 10 when I started getting bigger than everybody. So then they put me down on the uh, defense alignment. I played for uh, Inglewood. Pop Warner League, I played for the Comanches, the Eagle, uh, Comanches, Cherokees, and the Seminoles. So I uh, had an opportunity to uh, play at a very young age. And then um, when I got to high school, I saw that there was a need for more offensive linemen. So um, I ended up uh, my uh, sophomore year of high school switching to uh, play both sides of the line throughout high school. But um, I was getting a lot of interest as an offensive lineman. Um, when I was a senior in high school. So a lot of the schools across the nation, uh, I had scholarships from all the major Division One schools in the nation. Also, too, it was kind of funny because I went to a preparatory school and I was receiving, I was receiving uh, recruiting uh, letters from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and uh, me and my mom used to laugh about that because there's no way that I that I had the academic prowess to, um, you know, be a part of that institution. But now looking back, you know, all those years, I did have the skill set. Um, people really uh, saw me just as an ath athlete and as a scholar. And I think that's one thing that I struggle with as a football player because I, I didn't, I was placed in a box, a box that, you know, that I know that was not going to be longevity. And as a football player, you, the window of opportunity, especially at the pro level, is only four to six years. And 
when I graduated, when I was done with my pro career, I would be probably in my late 20s, maybe early 30s, and um, I had 50 more years of living. So I kind of uh, reflected on that as a, a teen and didn't have the skill sets uh, right away uh, to you know, make that dream come true, but I did have the athletic ability in order to, you know, get, get my education paid for. Football has uh, taken me across the world. I've been in over multiple states, uh, traveled to Hawaii for an all-star game. Um, so football was, uh, gave me the, the um, gave me confidence that I probably would not never had at a young age if a lot of the coaches didn't, you know, give me that pack on the back and give me that confirmation that I was worth something. So football, so that's when, you know, around about the way that I became an offensive line because I kind of grew. <laughs> I grew, man. Well, obviously, looking at me, I, I never grew. So. <laughs> so, so, okay, so let's... Do you know how much you weighed when you were born? Uh, yeah, they, I was, that's a funny story. Yes, uh, I was uh, born in Waldo, Arkansas. Uh, the day I was born, I was in the paper because I was the biggest baby born in Arkansas oh that year. So I think I was, uh, my mom said I was 22 inches and about 11 pounds. So, okay. yeah, and she said my father's older brother said it took my sister-in-law to teach everyone how to have a, how to, how to do a baby. So. <laughs> yeah, I was the biggest baby born in, in uh, Columbia County and in, uh, in the state of Arkansas that uh, that February seventeenth, nineteen seventy three. Okay, look at that. Yeah. So, so as so you said you you start to get bigger than the other kids. Yes. You say about nine? Is that what you said? I would say probably a little bit early. I was still. I would say about seven. I was about bigger seven. than most of my cousins. My cousins were ten and eleven. And I was bigger than them, mm-hmm. but I was just as athletic and as fast as them because I had to keep up with the you know older guys because yeah. you know I wanted to be around them. They were cool. You know, we just removed to Los Angeles uh, in 1980 from Arkansas, and it was it was a uh, it was an eye opening experience because that's when gang violence jumped off and. You know, my cousins and uh, kind of steered me away from that, and and uh, one and uh, we played a lot of street ball. So yeah, I, I try I try to keep. When I got to nine, though, when I played officially to play Pop Warner, that's when I jumped on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was better than the receivers than a lot of than a lot of the uh, receivers that we had. Uh, I played with it. I remember uh, I played with Curtis Conway. Uh, played with me at SC. Uh, or I played with him because he's a superstar, <laughs> and now he ain't played with me. You know, Curtis Conway, and I uh, played with Curtis. I'm a Bears fan. By yeah, way, Bears. Yeah, Seaway. Seaway, <laughs> and I played uh, with Coach Bob. You know, Coach Bob uh, taught me the game, and uh, Coach Harvey too. And Seaway was always the guy that you saw when at Hearthon, at at SC, and at the Bears. He was just always that guy that everyone knew. He took us to the championship. We actually went 12 and 0 and won. Um, the Pop Warner Championship, and it was because Seaway was just phenomenal. He played every position, punt, wow. receiver. He did it all, defense. I'm like, Seaway, and he and Seaway was a couple years older than me. That's how big I was. You know, Seaway was probably two years older than me, uh-huh. two, or two or three years older than me, so I was just a big kid. So, yeah. so um, you mentioned street ball. Yeah. And like I said, obviously, I was always a small yeah. kid, and so I remember playing street ball. And Pasadena, as we, we talked about before going on air, and um, getting the wind knocked out of me. Yeah, yeah. On, on the street, right. and that was in my foot. I was like, I don't know how anyone could like getting the wind knocked out of them right. like this. 
So I, was, I, I I'm done. I'll just I'll stick to basketball. Well, that's a good. I like. Uh, I always tell people, you know, to make it to the NFL, uh, you have to be um, some a lot of not a large majority of, but you have to be a sociopath because you know. They, uh, there's a research says that the uh, for one NFL game and one collegiate game, it's like the average person going through six car crashes. So it's a it's a very fi- violent and physical game. So sometimes I don't know if it's narcissism, narcissism, or it's uh, sociopathic behavior because they kind of it's a fine line between a lot of the you know uh, personalities overlap one another. But uh, as a football player, you have to be confident. You have to be able to, you know. One play, you get beat. The next play, you got to, uh, you know, muster something up and uh, have the confidence that you can, you know, uh, win the next battle or the next five, six, ten, whatever battles that's going on. So one of the things that we should say is if you're scared, I'm going to put it uh, more uh, G-rated uh, <laughs> commentary. But, they can take it. <laughs> but uh, one of the things we say, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're not confident in uh, your ability and that you think you can beat the guy across the, uh, across the line from you, you know, don't come out on the, um, the field. You know, so that's one of the things that we used to always say before we go on, go on to the field. And I think that resonates me with what I do right now. Um, I've always feel confident that I can, you know, help um, young people achieve their goals because I feel like I have the skill set, I have the ability, but I also have uh, used that philosophy is that if, if I can't do the best job uh, working with students, then why be in this possession, profession? I need yeah. to move on and do something else. Good. So I was going to ask you. So you went into your skill sets to to do what you do mm-hmm. for a living now. Um, normally, I like to either go a little. I mean, we talked about you know yourself and yeah. when you actually realize you are bigger than others. But what did your parents do for a living, mm-hmm. and how did their careers affect your career? Mm-hmm. And or do you think you were just born with the proclivity to do what you do with students today? Um, I think my father died when I was 13, so uh, really never had a male role model in my life. Uh, had coaches come in and out of my life, but you know, it was like the new um, next man up. You know, I understand that that's the you know the dynamics of uh, being in athletics, being in coaching, that you have this short one of opportunity to uh, be around um, coaches. But uh, Coach David Benuelos is probably one of the uh, coaches that was, has been in my instrument in my life uh, and still today. I actually went to Verbin Day last Thursday and uh, spoke at his uh, at the banquet, and he uh, invited me there because uh, he he uh, knows my story. He knows that, you know, the things that I'm doing, he wanted uh, the young man to have a role model. But my mother, uh, she worked as a credit manager, started with uh, uh, Vivitar. She was the uh, West Coast manager. My mom always went to work, always worked hard. Um, and then she moved on to Clarion and she was was a rep there and, and actually did all the um, the credit management throughout the whole uh, United States for Clarion. So my mom was uh, the, was very instrumental in everything in my life. My mom is uh, my um, is my rock. My mom is my everything. She's, uh, she's always been there to support me from day one of uh, what I've done. So my mom, Roundabout way, when I was a freshman at USC, um, 
I remember my uncle, he used to own this little juke junk in Waldo, Arkansas. It was a little trailer. They used to sell bootleg, I mean, it was uh, a dry county, so he couldn't sell alcohol. <laughs> but he, my uncle, uh, Russell, actually Russell Sr. is Russell Westbrook's uh, grandfather. Uh, that's my, uh, Russell Westbrook is my cousin. Oh, really? his, yeah, his father. Uh, his father and my mother are first cousins, and my uncle Russell um, is his uh, grandfather. So my uncle Russell was a hustler, man. My hustle was my, so I used to go there my freshman year at USC, and he told these two young ladies sitting at his bar, it's like, hey, you know who this son this is? They're like, no, they never seen me. It's Waldo, Arkansas. It's about six hundred people. All black people pretty much know each other, seen each other over the years. He's like, I don't know who this man is. He said, this is Lenny's son. She said, Lenny's son. She said, boy, I bet you in college, huh? I said, yeah. I said, how do you know? She said, well, your mom used to tell us growing up, and we used to laugh at her, that all my kids are going to go to college. She, my mom planted that. That was in my mom's head a long time ago because my mom wanted to be a nurse, and the um, guidance counselor told her that the South wasn't ready for a uh, black woman to be a nurse. She should be. Uh, she should go in to be a house housekeeper. She should go clean houses for a living. That is more what people, that's her skill set. And my mom did not want that for my brother and my sister and myself. So she moved us to Los Angeles in 1979. So we would have an opportunity that she haven't had. So um, also too, the, I went to Montclair Prep. It was, it's closed now. Uh, Dr. Vernon E. Simpson was a, a gentleman who gave my brother and myself an opportunity to go to his school at the time. In the late 80s, this school was like $10,000 to go a, a year. I went to school with people like, uh, who went to Montclair? Some of the alumni from Montclair are the Michael Jackson, uh, Silver Shepard, uh, Judy Bloom from, uh, what's that, uh, Brady Bunch, uh, Robin, Robin uh, Thicke uh, I went, was one of my classmates. Eddie Sibrian was a classmate of mine. Say Shalom was, uh, went to my high school. Uh, Paul Anderson was a classmate of mine. I mean, I went, the list goes on and on. Danny Pichero was a uh, classmate of mine. So going to that environment, um, coming from Inglewood, coming from where my friends and I were excited to have uh, BMX bikes. We thought BMX, and, and we used to clown everybody. Used to have the little Huffy. The Huffies was like <laughs> like the low grade of uh, bikes. And um, my uh, when I went to Montclair, you know what I mean. We used to have like we used to go to Swap Meet and get our little gold chains. You know what I mean from the Slauson in Inglewood Market Street. Uh, and I went to Montclair. Man, these guys had like the Turkish links. I really learned the different like the Gucci links and stuff like that. And uh, they were driving these like. Uh, Mustang Salines and stuff to school yeah. and uh, I'll never forget one of my classmates cried because her father got her a uh, a black BMW and she wanted a white right Mercedes yeah. so uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks later she came to school with a white Mercedes and still kept a black BMW so this is the type of and um, got the uh, opportunity because I, I was there to, to be honest I was the help I was there to improve the uh, student population especially the males, um, application to college because we want CIF. There were a lot of college uh, um, came to see me and a couple of the guys that they allowed to go there that was from the inner city. So a lot of recruiting came through Montclair, and um, I had opportunity to uh, interact with a couple of my, um, my classmates, and I actually picked their parents' brain because I was like, 
like going up Inglewood in a two two bedroom apartment, you know, with with a balcony that was luxury, <laughs> and then to come into these huge mansions and ask them, what do you do? Like, how do you make this money? And uh, they told me that they lawyer. They were they all had terminal degrees. I didn't at the time. I didn't know it was a terminal degree, but they all had these professional degrees. And they told me like they had education. So none of these none of these people were NFL players. You know, they were not like some were a lot of Ron Resnick. I went to school with his daughter. Uh, I remember uh, seeing Days of Thunder when uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was doing that. I remember actually going to the through the uh, through the whole process as he was making Days of Thunder. I went to with Alex Badahula. She was one of my classmates. And I was just like seeing all these wealthy, successful people. And I used to always like wonder, like, you know, um, how they how did they accomplish that? I remember. Um, one of my good friends, Anthony Stein, whose father was Ice Cube's uh, uh, lawyer. All that stuff that Ice Cube got him through the NWA movie was kind of surreal seeing all that happen because I remember, you know, talking to Anthony and talking about, like, how his father, and his father used to tell me, like, Donald, you just get your education, you know, man, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be successful. You know, football is only going to last you for such a long time because he, he managed a lot of athletes at the time. He's like, you know, this degree is going to take you further. So... It was it was a, it took a village to get me here. Dr. Simpson, God rest his soul, he died, um, and I used to always go back and tell him, Dr. Simpson, thank him for giving my brother and me an opportunity to uh, go on because my brother went on and won three national championships at the University of Nebraska, um, signed with the Raiders, played in NFL Europe, uh, coached on the um, uh, Irvin Meyer, um, Mangino, uh, Hallball. And he coached under um, Mike Singletary. The list goes on and on. Mike Price, my brother, coached. And he also, too, he was uh, under, you know, the great uh, Tom Osborne. Mm -hmm. So um, Dr. Simpson gave me and my brother's uh, platform and gave us an, a, a space and created the access. But he also created access through giving us opportunity to come out of the community. But the families, and he provided the equity, meaning he paid for my SAT score, my SAT he like he gave us uh he gave us clothes you know what i mean for it was a school it was a uh uniform it was a uniform so a lot of the parents gave us like clothes you know because they know my mom not as a charity craze mm -hmm. it was out of respect for my mom because they see my mom um um taking care of these two young boys and young ladies and my sister and my sister's a school teacher is very successful she's going to go get her doctorate at arizona state my brother graduated from nebraska he's working in silicon valley making a killing traveling over the world self-taught you know from um so um but it goes back to uh, dr simpson he gave us the opportunity to you know move beyond the mm -hmm. community that i came from and i'm very grateful to the to that man because um, I get kind of choked up thinking about you know where my life would have been if I didn't make make these wonderful people like the savages you know um, the Coles um, the Derms all these wonderful people that came into my life at a young age the Swittons um, all these people are, and the Knightons I actually ran to my buddy Shad Knighton I went to Double uh, AMC. Um, it was in Austin, and I ran into one of my old buddies, Shad Knighton, got an opportunity to connect with him uh, and talked about old time with a couple of my buddies, The Sparks. Uh, actually, it was a book one of my buddy uh, wrote, Derek Sparks, and um, it was about our experiences in high school. And uh, he wrote a, he put something there about me. So um, 
if uh, I forget, uh, forget the name of his book, I need to look it up. Okay. Derek is a is a great book. Out. Derek Sparks is a great book, and uh, he has and uh, and I'm Leon Lett. So uh, yes, I used to be a dirty kid. I used to be a smelly, but I was, <laughs> but like what young man, you know? <laughs> and uh, he uh, he um, he uh, also too chronicles my experience. You know, I was a highly tally athlete coming out of high school, one of the best athletes, and a lot of people don't know that about me in my current. Uh, Position everybody know how to play at SC, but they know a lot. Like I was like one of the top, you know, twenty five players coming out of high school. And this is the, you can look it up. You know, blue chip all American. Uh, went to USC out of high school. Um, all these things that I don't tell people because that was my past, and you know, um, I've moved forward with my life. Yeah. So uh, it goes back to your first question: is the how do I get to where I'm at in this professional? It took, man, it was that's a long story, and it took, <laughs> as you can see. But there's a lot of people that helped me get to where I'm at. Yeah, that's um. So you mentioned Dr. Simpson taking you from your community into another community mm -hmm. to get that exposure, right. which I think is um very important now there might be others that might be listening saying right. you know you should have stayed in the hood and you should have represented your community yes, yes. and why did you have to go over there and you know i, I kind of had the same experience right. growing right. up that right you know most of my friends when i was little they happened to be white and i, I would go over to their house and once again <laughs> i'm looking around like you know yeah. my, i remember my friends his dream car was to have a ferrari yeah. and the first time i ever heard of ferrari i was like well, what's a ferrari and then he, right. he had a, he built <laughs> models of yeah. ferraris yeah. i'm sure to this day he probably has one i mean yeah. i don't yeah. we're not friends anymore but you know just looking around saying how are these people amassing this, this wealth, this wealth? Right. and really the only way for us to peep it out per se is to be in that space so you just like you right. hey how, how did you get all this yes 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 and i i like what you so one of the things that i've been uh really talking about this with a lot of my colleagues and really want to start uh going developing a platform to talk about that is uh i call it a there are two vacations that young men um from the um inner city you know uh, two destinations for young black males is one um, is the penitentiary. You know that's that's why we call it a vacation because you're taken out of mm -hmm. the community and then you come back. The community the community has moved on, but you're still stuck in that you know um, that um, mindset before you left. And also too, you got that prison mentality too. But also too, the second one is through athletics. Um, young black men are um, funding communities. Let's let's put this in in contextual um, context. So let's. Uh, I lived in uh, Manhattan, Kansas, um, and um, we knew a lot of business owners, and we talked about this. They said that eighty-five percent of their um, revenue came through game day, meaning when the football team and the basketball players were playing, the revenues were generated. Now let's talk about who are these people coming to see when they come to Manhattan, Kansas. They come to see young black men on the gridiron film, on the on the basketball court, right? Mm -hmm. So these young black men are building wealth for communities, and they do not see a dime of that, you know? And then let's talk about um, the the football the football team, how much and basketball team put into an athletic community. Those two uh, football team, you know, they, they bring in wealth, but the other sports, the team, the athletic sports, 
they uh they are they they are operate as a deficit. They do not bring in money, they actually lose money. Exactly. So the football team and the basketball team are bringing the revenues. Now let's talk about what who are taking what demographics are taking advantage of these scholarships. Who are the demographics for tennis? Right? Water polo. Mm-hmm. Right? When we look at rowing, right? If we look at these other team gymnastics. Yeah. You know, we look at these other sports who who are who are these scholarships going to? They're not going so to the communities. You're not a Title Nine guy. Or is no, no, no. I'm not saying women. I'm saying okay. no. I'm saying the demographic. I'm okay. not saying women. Yeah. I'm saying because right. water polo, basketball, water polo is is both of those. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Title Nine. What yeah. I'm saying is okay. these young black men, you know what I mean, are bringing in and and bringing not only you know money to communities, but they also to are funding education for white. Yeah. You know, non non black um, and non Latino um, students, right? Because a lot of those tennis players, you know, what I mean, where they're coming from, right? They're not coming from the hood, except you. Know, I mean, Serena and Venus, but they going straight to you know the professional because they're great athletes. You know what I mean? And they can make millions and millions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, and don't need an education. But from the standpoint of why go to school when you're going to make a hundred times more than you would with a degree over your lifetime within the ten years of you being your career? Because you got to remember, athletics is totally uh, football, and and tennis is totally different. You know, it's more individual. So, and and like I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. So yeah. I'm just asking the question. No, no. So are you saying that the basketball players and the football players? Ought to be compensated for what they are sure. building yes. for these yes, I am. universities I'm and def- institutions. I'm not saying that they should be compensated. What I'm saying is that the experience that most, you know, young black males have on this campus, on the campus that they have, what is the benefit from it? Because one of the things that you, from you know, from some institutions, not all, um, they they steer them towards these careers that is not really going to help them with their social uh, uh, social mobility. I mean, criminal justice, what you're going to, I mean, criminal justice is a, a four-year degree, but what is going to transition into, you know, police officers are worthy, you know, um, profession. But, you know, there's, I mean, there's a limited amount of uh, opportunities in criminal justice unless you're going to get a professional degree in forensic science, if you're going to go on to uh, be a lawyer. Let's talk about sociology, okay? You still need to get a master's to be a social worker, right? Exactly. So these are, because why are they steered towards these these, uh, departments? Because the requirements to get in are very low. Now let's talk about what is the, you know, um, what in the future, what are the most careers are going to be at? It's going to be in the STEM, which stands for science, technology, uh, engineer, and and, um, mathematics. So, and we see that 17% of all the new careers that are going to be in our economy are STEM. And um, there's been research says that, especially for African-American males, 39% of African-American male freshmen who come into college identify that they want to go into the STEMs. And when we look at the graduation rates of uh, black males when they are graduating from uh, STEM degrees, we're looking at less than, you know, 5% of them are getting degrees in the STEM field, right? Yeah. So we, we're we looking at how we, you know, look at black males is only a, a from the dollar sign when, for most institutions, not all institutions, but some institutions only look at it as a dollar sign. And what, the reason why I brought up those statistics of who are they educating is because they should be paid. 
I think they should have some type of more compensation because here, here I am, I'm 45 years of age, and I have bad knees, and I couldn't go out and do get a, get a construction job. I couldn't work as a social. I couldn't work as a security guard. So I have to have a, a white collar job or professional job in order to you know because my body is not you know um, won't hold up with some yeah. of the manual labor that you know that if I didn't have a degree that I would have to do you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. so, so I guess the. Um, if we pay the athletes, I'm just trying to see how how it really solves the, the problem because because the universities would say, well, we are paying you because we're giving you a full scholarship to attend our grand institution. Right. Now, but, granted, most of the time they don't. They leave before they get that. No, that's not true. Okay. So let's talk about this. Yes, you give me a scholarship. Yes, you pay for my education, right? Mm -hmm. But because of the constraints, and a lot of us come from environments where our parents cannot provide that, you know, that supplemental financial support, we cannot work. If somebody's on an academic scholarship and getting paid for, they can work. Even the people who sit who get band scholarships can go out there and get paid for these TV uh, engagements, go out there and play and do other things where football and basketball players times are committed because they build, you know, institution. You look at that seven million dollar uh, facility that we just built uh, across the street from our main campus, the USC Village. Now I'm not going to say that he had a big play into it, but the Pete Carroll years, you know, has brought the institution a lot of recognition because of the national championships and because everyone across the nation knew about SC. People don't know what SC stands for, but they know what a Trojan is. They know what Cardinal Goal is, right? They don't know what the average, I'm not saying at all, I'm saying mm-hmm. the average, majority of our students don't know that SC is ranked 15th nationally academically right they don't know we have a great uh, cinema school we have a great medical school we have a great uh business school marshall school is a great business school we have uh, annenberg you know we have all these great programs but what they know about is that the trojan you know uh mascot they know about they only they know about cardinal gold they probably know about traveler before they know about some of the programs we have on our campus so the way that schools or rankings are um, giving is through how many quality uh, applicants they turn away, right? So exactly. the first exposure that most students, young people get to athletics it, uh, through colleges is through athletics. Who knows where Tuscaloosa, Alabama is located? Right, I still don't. You still don't know, but you know <laughs> what Tuscaloosa is. No, yeah, but you heard of Tuscaloosa. South, I don't know. Right, you know, but you know what Tuscaloosa, right? You know yes. that's where the University of Alabama, exactly. right? So you got to remember Knoxville, Tennessee. Who knows where Knoxville is? A beautiful and people don't know Knoxville, Tennessee is a beautiful place, but people do not 
know only know about the UT Vols, right? Yeah. Know, so we got to remember these young black men are building institutions in many ways that you know is not being uh, thought about. And why should they not get paid when they're building these seven hundred million dollar uh, facilities and they only get a scholarship and their scholarship only then only is uh, allowed them to go into sociology and there's a lot of um, 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 information out there that's talk about how they get these uh, liberal arts degrees and can't do nothing with yeah. it, right? So you mentioned the band person on scholarship able to wear. I, I never actually thought about that and I'm like, that's, that's a good point that they can still go out and make right. some money and they're not violating anything. So that's that's very interesting and a good point. Now we talk about the type of degrees that most athletes get. Probably not gonna put all of them, yeah, yeah, them, all yeah. of them but most of them probably. Majority. Um, but isn't that that's not a well? I guess it could be. I wouldn't say that's not a higher institution problem. That's um, a K through twelve problem because if we're not giving them the foundation to be able to major in STEM while they're playing football or whatever they're playing. Most definitely. So, so, so how do we, I mean, obviously the major, the higher institutions can now invest into K through, um, obviously this is a private school. Right, see, right, right. For example, right, they can do whatever they want to do. Right, yes. I don't know about the well, UCLA, well, UCLA does a great job. UCLA is probably one of the best institutions for as, uh, pipeline programs for underserved, especially when we're talking about the K-12. UCLA is just well-renowned for that. Like, people come over, and they always got stuff going on at that institution. So UCLA, even though it's across the across the town mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the rivalry, but I... So I, I props. Yeah, I, yeah, you got to. I, I, I even worked at uh, David Gaffin School of Medicine uh, in the same role, um, developed all their programs there. So I know the UCLA has a uh, it's a fine institution. Um, I have a lot of students, so have a lot of respect for that. But how can we develop? You know, it, I, I'm I talk about this all the time. I think we really need to focus on the prenatal stage. You know, especially when the first child has come, and talk about the importance of education, important about reading. Now I see that a lot of commercials and a lot of uh, PSAs, uh, public announcements. Uh, are addressing the fact that the importance of reading, especially when it comes to father t- reading to to their to their children, is self efficacy. So one of the things that uh, parents don't really lo- realize, especially those who are even educated parents, don't realize that how much power they have, you know, and uh, in, um, in in their child's education. You know, it is up to the school district. I mean, the school district has to provide those accommodations, have to provide, you know. Uh, the curriculum in order to support, um, you know, communities. And sometimes our parents don't understand that is that if they speak up loud enough that something has to be done. And that's one of the things I think that has been done, especially when you look at Mm -hmm. the post-Brown versus board education, is that a lot of the the teachers have been, uh, especially in our community, have been, uh, when Brown came about and they started, you know, transitioning into more integrated schools who lost it was the black teachers exactly because because the, the data and historically says i mean this is well documented you can look it up 
that a lot of the, uh, the, the other demographics did not want their child learning from a black teacher. Mm -hmm. So this is why now people say, why there's no more black teachers? Because historically, you push the black teachers away. And if you look at you know the um, the the history of uh, segregated schools, black even though we had did not have the best facilities, we did not have the best uh, resources for learning, but we were thriving. You know, we were thriving, and not saying that I want to go back to a segregated school, even though our schools are resegregated because we know that blacks and Latinos go to schools where there's a high minority uh, population. Mm -hmm. Those schools are still there. And what's going on is that the parents don't understand if a bunch of parents get up there and start saying, hey, what's going on in our school? Because they can't compare apples to oranges, right? Because, you know, we only gravitate towards our circles that is close to us, right? So we don't know what in Inglewood, what the schools in Rossmore's are doing, right? In exactly. Orange County, right? So if the parents knew, like, oh, why? Why is it supposed to be a separate? We're supposed to be a same education across mm -hmm. the board, right? Mm -hmm. Why are their education curriculum much stronger than ours? Is because the parents don't go out there and you know uh, voice their opinion and get involved, and that's where that leaky faucet theory come from. Why are young black males are not going into the STEM? Is it the standpoint of the K through twelve? Is the, the parents? Right? Are they not interested? And like the data I just said, that 30, 39% of them are interested in STEM. Yeah. So where, where, do we, where do we fix the leaky faucet? And one of the things that we need to do is go back and look at the historical implications that have uh, this problem has manifest from. And uh, that's what my dissertation is focused on, is how, to, uh, how, do, how do black males use their social capital and network in order to matriculate into medical school, meaning matriculation means to enroll into medical school, because right now, since 1978, uh, black males' uh, representation in medical school has declined. And one of the things that I'm, um, I've been reading about is, re why is that? Is the fact that since the 80s, uh, there was a shift from before the 80s, uh, three-fourths of all black males went to historically HBCUs colleges. Now, when we get into the 80s, they start going to these uh, uh, historically white institutions where they're now, you know, if they're not an athlete, because athlete, male athletes who have white, white male privilege because they're in an athlete, they have the network, they have the money, they have the people, they have all these, these uh, resources that some people that a freshman at SC who from Inglewood like me, who was not on the football, he was a black male, came from the same dynamics. He did not have the same privileges that I have because, you know what I mean, he was not on the football team. That's unfortunately. I'm not saying that all do, mm -hmm. but what I'm saying, the young black man who comes from single-parent home like I did, didn't have a father in his life, mother had two other kids, were working, didn't have the same privilege that I had coming on that walking on that campus. So we see the shift of why this decline has happened because a lot of uh, young black males decide not to go to black institutions. And we know that black institutions, if you look at the graduation rates of black males, it's all a large, a huge majority are come from the HBCUs. And it's unfortunate that the HBCUs are shutting down because now a lot of the African-American males are now going to these HBCUs. Let's take for instance, imagine if Reggie Bush went to, you know, Howard. Mm-hmm. You know, and all these Reggie Bush jerseys being sold at Howard. Howard can fund more opportunities, more scholarships, 
can probably uh, improve more graduate program. Let's take it. Let's not even take Howard. Howard has a, a very unique um, agreement with the institution, with uh, the government, where they have to give them uh, federal funding because mm-hmm. they signed that uh, that agreement. And but let's talk about uh, lesser known uh, huge. Let's take Winston Salem, okay. Winston Salem University. Reggie Bush went to Winston Salem. You know, what I mean, Winston Salem now can put a law school there, right? A medical school there. Because those Reggie Bush jerseys, those national championships, that TV money that they're getting. Because let's be uh, let's be real, you know what I mean. They're gonna find Reggie anyway. Regardless, yeah, you know what I mean. But the TV money is what is very lucrative for a lot of these schools. These 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 TV deals are like Notre Dame big packages that they have. You know, imagine if these HBCUs had these packages. What could they do for the community? And it's based upon our young men are being sold on glitz and glamour. And the reason why why do they have that? Why these white institutions have the glitz and glamour in the athletic department? It's not because they're better. It's because they have you going there. Exactly. You have you, and they don't see that. So there needs to be a, a shift. Well, I think they see it. They're not going to say it. but I'll No, I'm talking it. about the young black family. Okay. The families, yeah. the families okay, so don't see it. So that's where I'm going to yeah. go with you. So it's a paradigm shift, and this is what I've been saying for years. Yes. <laughs> it's a paradigm shift that we, in our community, African-American community, we have to now understand that we have that power and if we just now no we're going to go to this institution we're going to go over here we're going to build this up because we know that they're going to invest in our community more and we're going to have more access to to programs but you need people like like uh lebron james and kobe bryant and people like uh like kevin garnett who did not go to you know colleges these big time athletes really Mm -hmm. get behind these hbcus and really, because they really don't have no allegiance to any institutions, telling these young men, like, hey, you know what I mean? This is an opportunity. Knowing the, the demographics and knowing the, you know, the, um, the data on, you know, the, the, what, I'm te- what is factual, that is important that you look at going, because they're going to find you. If you got talent, you can't hire talent. Yeah. So you think, and the reason why you know these historical institutions are getting all the TV coverage is because you're not going, and the HBCUs are not because you're not going there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Imagine, if, and you, people say, yeah, but there's a lot of like black athletes there right now. But we know that you know the superstars, the elite superstar athletes, are at the historical because they have more. They like I said, the glitz and glamour. You go into yeah. USC. And you, you go on this campus and see, like, wow, like, look at all the stuff that I get. You mean I get, like, six, seven pair of shoes. I get all this travel. We travel first class, you know, uh, instead of, like, some HBCUs traveling to buses. You might have to buy your own shoes, you know what I mean, at the lesser-known HBCU. Even at the lesser-known, you know, Division One major schools, you know, I mean, you're still traveling in, 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 in style compared to, you know, the more, you know, successful HBCUs. You know, so we know that, you know, do I want to travel on a bus and with a pack? Not to say that that's HBCUs, but I don't get these full five-course meals. I'm not eating at Lowry's, you know, or I'm not having these, you know, eating at these these posh places that, you know, that 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 the a place like USC is allows that afforded the athletes to, you know, frequent or the venues that they are associated with. 
didn't know. Even even if you look, bro, like I remember, I remember, uh, I remember, I remember when I was, I I was like I said, I was recruited by every uh, major institution, and I remember seeing this is how this is the difference. I saw like I saw like Texas Southern, I saw Grambling, I saw Howard, I saw all these different HBCUs. their um, their uh, programs their uh, their programs that put athletes so there there is a priority about mm, 30, 30 pages you know of uh, just athletes and all the different uh, sponsors now let's take a look USC USC uh, book was a hundred pages one hundred and fifty pages with like with all Fortune five hundred uh, all the former NFL stars that went there it was like. 30 pages just of the, the, the former athletes, all the Heisman Trophy winners that went there, all the Outland Roy winners, all these uh, great uh, athletes. And you look at the HBCU, right? So you look at that right there. You lost a you lost a race. Because I'm yeah. looking at your I'm looking at your game day program, which is in uh, black and white at the HBCU, and I'm looking at a full color, uh, you know, thicker like three times the size of your your media guide. Uh, of course, I'm going to look at the dynamics and say, oh, do I really want to go here mm-hmm. or do I want to go to a place? But doing parents, doing, if parents really do, you know, the um, do the research mm-hmm. and really analyze, HBCUs get black males prepared for yeah. life. Yeah. From the, even from the standpoint of the efficiency. And that's one of the things that predominantly white colleges can do. But I feel more comfortable coming to Trent. You know what I mean? As a Donovan Roy, as a freshman who's a black man who's in my profession, be able to talk because he knows what's going down instead of, you know, um, you know the uh, white fragility that, oh, poor young, you're, you come looking at the, at the deficiencies and what they not have, what the student don't have and what he could be because you got a cousin that was once like Donovan. You, your dad once had a story. You know, your, your neighbor across the street once was like Donovan. And you see how they achieve where we know that, you know, some of the people from other demographics don't even have that, you know, that uh, that that preview or don't have that opportunity to see that Donovan could be a doctor. Donovan could be a lawyer, an architect, because they never they they only see a few of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Not to say they didn't see none; is that they don't see a few, and but they don't know their story. They don't know where they come from, right? They always thought that they were on that level what they were at. So that's why, as far as that going back to my development. Students, I see students, I see that students can achieve because I was that. Oh, my friends, I have like eight boys. People say that black males are not succeeding, they're not smart. Man, I got eight boys, man. We got masters, we got doctors, we from, I mean, the cats from Watts. We got, I got cats from Watts. I got cats from uh, from uh, Liberty City, Hialeah, the Brown Subs, man. I mean, most gutter places you ever in Miami, my boys, you know, shout out to Pernell, Leo, OJ. Leo, uh, also too, um, Rob, Keto, Rizzo, and uh, Dion. We all went to school. We all got masters. We all come from nowhere. We come from like you know places where you know it was it was shooting up bang bang wild west when we grew up. And so that's one of the things I know that when I meet students, I know they can deceive because I see us you know come up in the system and how and what we're doing and what we're achieving. All of us own homes. Mm-hmm. You know, we all grew up in apartments. We all grew up in single parent homes, except uh, Ashley. Ashley Tucson, his pops was in his life, Asian <laughs> cat. You know, but that's a whole different now, dynamic. The eight of you, did all of you 
play football. We're all play football. We are, yeah, that. we take advantage of that, and uh, we uh, end up succeeding. We always supporting. Like when I went to, I flunked out of USC. People don't know, I flunked out of USC. I flunked out of the University of New Mexico. I got two scholarships to two major Division One schools. So I met these guys at Wayne State College in Northeast Nebraska. And uh, all of us, and all of us was there to support each other. And I remember, like, we would get on one another if, if like, man, like, why are you even going to school, man? Why are you even going to class, man? What you up here? You trying to be a bum? You trying to go back, hang out with them boys on the corner, man? You trying to have the brown bag? You know what I mean? Like, shoot, you can go do that. Or you can go kick it like that at the house, and it's warmer. And because in, in, in Northeast Nebraska, I mean, it get bitterly cold. It can get negative nineteen, five thousand people, two traffic lights, everything closed at nine o'clock. Shoot, it's, it's much it's a much more a uh, more inviting scene to go back to you know to meet Dade County or go back to Los Angeles County and do what them boys be doing, you know. But um, we 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 encourage each other. We uh, we uh, we really uh, had a lot of tough love for one another, and it's it's wonderful to see that. You know, my boy uh, OJ used to have all my boy OJ used to have all grills, like gold grills. I'm talking about this is like that's day count. He did nobody's day count. He did my boy OJ, and now my boy OJ is uh, teaching gerontology at the University of Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. You know what I mean? This guy is real hood. We call him uh, we are Cool old Jones, man, because you know I mean Hollywood cool. You know, uh, Outkast had this uh, this. Uh, interlude where they talk about, you know, uh, Hollywood, Hollywood Cole, who want to mess with Hollywood Cole, and that's what we call my boy OJ. Now, this cat is up there doing wonderful things in the community. I got a boy named Leo, man. We call him Gangster, man, but this man has one of the biggest hearts and uh, done a lot of uh, things for the community in uh, Norfolk, Nebraska. I got a boy named Dion from um, from the Perry Courts here in Watts, man. This dude, like, have cats that go into, like, Ivy League schools and this cast from Watts and these kids are, are saying that he's the reason why my boy uh, Rizzo, Italian cat, you know, um, from the Valley, um, teaches uh, coaches at uh, Sierra Canyon. Shout out to Sierra Canyon for playing the state championship this weekend, man. Um, they playing, I, for, I think they playing football or somebody for uh, okay. the CF title. He's my buddy. Um, he's doing what he's doing. He worked in because his relationship with us, he was doing a lot of wonderful things at uh, Alamo and Watts. I mean, this is a tiger cat going up to Watts, you know what I mean, holding his own with them, and they got respect for him because the interaction he had with me, my boy, uh, I got, we call him uh, Chris, Christopher Caban, you know, Christopher Caban is Leo's little brother. Man, straight, was getting so much trouble, mom sent him out to Northeast Nebraska, now this dude is doing well. He owned his own little uh, film production out there, graduated with two associate degrees from Northeast Community College, has a family, got a house, you know, and uh, my boy, I got a boy named at Pinnell. He's down in uh, Atlanta doing well, about to go get his um, master's. Uh, in public. He's doing um, probation in there, working with these young men. He's young, young, young cast trying to, you know, um, you know, provide him with some wisdom. I got a boy named Ashley Tucson out there doing a wonderful thing. Black Man Run. I don't know if you heard of Black Man Runs. He's one no. like he's one of the real uh instigate uh really one popular guys going around the nation. Just black men go out there just run in different places. I always catch him out, man. He he goes around if he's in uh in Haiti, that's where he was a Haitian cat, you know, so if I say he's out there running uh, the miles, I see him in uh, kind of anywhere, actually about to go on a 10-mile run with some cat from the black run. It's just another way of mm-hmm. him connection. He's in New York doing uh, a lot of wonderful things in the community in uh, Brooklyn. Um, and then I got my boy down in uh, Day County, um, Rob, you know, he's doing, he's working uh, as a uh, director and employing, uh, employing people in the community. Yeah. So it's... Um so obviously, 
we are capable. We are more if than capable. we get the opportunities and, and the access and, and, and the access. access. But the access is, but Trent, that's not true though. It's just that we do have access, but we do we have equity. Equity being, do we have what it, the other intangibles to make us successful? Meaning is, you can give us a school, but if I don't have like someone to talk to, like Trent. Who understands where I come from? Yeah. You're just giving me access. You're not giving me equity, you yeah. know. And equity doesn't all mean that. Oh, we need to get them. We need. It's it's more of what us is all about mental health, yeah. about having role models on that campus that we can go to. So growing up, in K K K to twelve, how many African American teachers did you have? Because I had uh, one, two, and they both were ladies. One uh, was fourth grade, and one was sixth, and for whatever reason, they held us back in seventh, so I had her sixth and seventh. Nah, I'll take that. And then I had one in tenth grade. Uh, so I had three African-American ladies teachers, but I never had African-American male teachers. I, I had two. I had a woman and a female. It was all at, 60, it was all at uh, 66th Street Elementary School in... Uh, uh, of 66 six in San Pedro was the only time that I think I've had now I'm thinking about junior high no I never had any you know um, high school definitely I had coaches uh, Coach Bradford yeah. Coach yeah. Webb we're not counting coaches we're counting no, teachers I'm talking about teachers. that could take you under no. their wing in no. there and make sure no. that hey no. tell you no. that you can no. do this no. and I'm going to help you no. and guide no. you no. and make sure no. that you and, and, and the cold part about it is I remember when I was on Facebook. I got off Facebook because I was just uh, disappointed. And I was really, it was really messing with my psyche, because a lot of people that I thought was, you know what I mean, had. Uh, I don't want everybody to have the same perspective on life with me, but I mm -hmm. thought they had a better perspective on the African American community, where you know, from some of the, interacting with some of the guys that I told you about and where they come from, and see how we transition. So I got off Facebook, but I remember I, I had a couple of teachers I found on Facebook, told them what I was doing, and. You know, let them know in a roundabout way is, you know, I, mean, I know why you, you know, you were so hard on me. And they might be thinking like, oh, that that they were too easy me at Montclair. No. The reason why I said that, you know, I know why you did was, was because that you didn't see me as somebody worthy enough to be at that institution. You know, you as a teacher, because I do the same job, your job is to connect with me any type of way to make sure that... You know that you're teaching me, and even if I bucked you, or if even if I was not even not uh, open to it, you still should try to reach out, and that's what I do with students. I've always students that know me, who work with me, I never give up on you. You know, even if you buck me, you don't want to be around me. You say I'm still going to be there because I know how that feels. I had teachers who just saw me. I remember I told I had a friend. Uh, uh, I was at this seminar for my dissertation here at USC because now I'm getting my flunked out of USC now 25 years later so I'm getting my uh, master's from, my doctorate from USC after flunking out of there May 10th I graduated and I remember I had this uh, this classmate she was like oh she she told me she took at a school in the valley and one of my former uh, teachers was there and she was like oh you know and I told her about who I was and what it was and, and uh and I told her, I said, hey, give him my card. That guy probably thought I gave him the card just to say, oh, hey, you did a good job. No, I gave him the card because you, I know, I'm older now. I reflect. Trust me, I reflect. You don't reflect on that experience, how you treated me, because that was a... 
that was not for me. I have to think about how you said some things about how you know people in apartments. You know what I mean? Uh, or the reason why the water shortage in L.A. and people like me live in houses. But here I am, a kid. You know I live in an apartment. You saying those things to me? That was a jab on me and my community. I was not cognitive enough to understand those things. But I gave the man a card. Did you think the guy ever reached out to me and was like, hey, Donald, I'm proud of you? This dude didn't do nothing with that card. He didn't say nothing. didn't care. Yeah. I had an opportunity to come work at that school. Because one of them, uh, as athletic director, when I first got back, you know, this dude probably bashed me left and right. Like, oh, you don't want this guy? Because he remembered me when I was 16 and not when I was in my 40s. So what is he feeding these young kids that look like me at the school that he is? And I'm sure that it's not, you know, it's the same way because he hasn't grown. Yeah, exactly. So... We should probably get some segments in that we normally do. <laughs> okay, I apologize. You know, oh, no, it's all good. I, I apologize. Mean, it's just certain things that people might expect. Maybe they don't. So, um, and, and these are. So let's go back. You you had mentioned earlier. Um, what did you say? The um, sounds about confidence and ability. And right. so we're going to work off the word ability and being a, a football players. You always hear, and this is not one of the normal segments, by the way. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> so we'll get to that. But we always hear um, the best ability is availability, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys just say that as football players? No. You're not, oh, no? No, no, we didn't say that. <laughs> no. But anyway, well, I heard that that's kind of a, a mantra. Like, if you're not on the field, then what good are you, right? So the best ability well, is availability. Here, here's one. Mm-hmm. It's more like this. You can't make the club in the tub. Okay, there you go. <laughs> we'll take that one too. So the best ability is availability. So I have other three other choices. So which is really the best ability? Is it availability, respectability, or accountability? Okay. And why? <clears throat> I say accountability, especially as a team, man. I got to be able to count on you that you're going to make the play. I got to be able to count on you that you're going to work out. I got to be count on. I got to be uh, count on the fact that. You know what I mean? You're handling, you're you're doing your job, especially as an offensive lineman. The quarterback's got to be have that accountability for me as a. So, but relate. I want you related to life, not oh, just sports. Oh wow, that's yeah. that's, that's something I love. Okay, when it uh, transition, <laughs> I love talking about that. So the accountability that uh, that I was uh, that that to work out right when the coach is not looking. You know what I mean? To make sure that I'm doing an extra, you know, work. Look, how's it transitioning to my life right now? Is the fact that when on the weekends, when my supervisors don't see me, I'm still working with with the students, right? The students are able to count on the fact that when they're struggling, that Donovan is going to be there to pick them up. And I do catch a lot of flack from my uh, from over the years from a lot of people talking about I'm too accessible to students. But that's my accountability to those students to help them succeed. How can I? How can I call myself? Because the the thing, the what I work in is called student affairs, not affairs students, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing in student affairs is the student. The student is the most important thing. My accountability to the students to help them achieve their goals until achieve, achieve their dreams is very important, and I use that accountability from the football field, the the, the discipline, the focus, you know, the to build the confidence in the student, 
you know, like the coaches build that confidence in me. Like students always say, Donovan, I feel much, I feel much better. And why do I always feel good when I come leave you? Why do I always feel like I can conquer the world? Because those are the same, um, those are the same um, uh, inspirational talks that my coaches and my teammates used to give to me. It's like, hey, because sometimes the accountability that I give to the student is that you can do it. All right, you have are doing the right things and you're studying, but let's tweak it a little bit, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that they can count on me, right, that me to be there for them, that builds their self-efficacy, meaning that, that they're going to do whatever I say and they're going to believe that I can make it happen because I have came through them as a first-year medical student, second, third, right? I come through for these students so they, they know that what I say it's going to help them get to where they, they go because my account will be towards them no matter what they're going through at that time. Yeah. So you're accessible to your students, and obviously you, you avail yourself to them um, frequently. Yes. What, and obviously they learn a lot from you. I learn a lot right? from them as well. That's, that's my question. What, if you can think of, well, what is oh, man, one easy. of the things that you've learned from? That's from, easy. Like, that's easy. Hey, that's, I could, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a couple. <laughs> so, like, you know, I told you I'm very, uh, you know, um, working with young ladies. I remember uh, Makia. Makia, uh, when I was working at Wayne State College, uh, she was a freshman. And I was having, like, a lot of, uh, you know, that mean girl vibe going on in the multi-culture center so um i tried to you know um find a solution to it you know or try to fix the problem what's going on with these young ladies right so it even made the things worse so one day my kid is like 18 years old very I, shout out to my kid i, I, I never probably hear her. she probably won't hear this but if someday hopefully with when trent goes long they they do this archive she told me she said donovan Sometimes, as women, we just want men to listen and not solve our problems. And that's what you're doing. I was like, hmm, really? Is that what you need from me? So, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what ended up happening is mm-hmm. the fact that uh, learned I learned to, to listen to them instead of uh, trying to, uh, try to uh, fix the problems. Second thing I, I've learned uh, from my medical students they were the first one to ever uh, really uh, encourage me to go back to get my doctorate. Mm. They really, they really encouraged me to get my doctorate. So me getting my doctorate was related to, you know, my medical students, you know, and, and uh, pushing me. I lost at one point. I've gained some of it back. I lost eighty pounds. I gained probably twenty of it back. My medical students, like Donovan, like you know, I see you walking. Get on, you know. You need to take care of yourself. You got, you have kids. You have a family. You need to take care of yourself. So that's one thing my my uh, my uh, my um, my medical students have taught me over the years. So, yeah. So that's um, speaking of encouraging and ch- children or right. students encouraging. Right. That's why we're here because my kids kind of encouraged me to do this, and they were like, "You got this journalism right. degree. You don't even use it. What's what's the deal?" And that's how this whole thing came, right. came along. Um, all right, let's do this segment. Are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Okay. Are you right-brained or left-brained? Left-brained. Wow. Very so, creative, yes. Well, 
Creative is the right. Oh, right, right. I thought okay. left brain. <laughs> I think I, uh, I thought it was right. Okay, right, okay. right. Yeah. All right. So right, right. All right. Good. And that's typically been most of of my my guests have, have been that. Uh, here we're just gonna do some rapid and some of these. Oh, you know what? We'll, we'll come back to that one. One of these you've already answered, and we normally do a fill in the blank segment. Right. Okay. So you normally this is the second question, but normally it is you can. And earlier you just said do it. Yeah. Do you want that to be your answer? <laughs> uh, you can. Uh, yeah, I, I think anyone can achieve their dreams. Yeah. Okay. I think you can do it. I'm always, my philosophy is I'm going to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, yeah, so you can. Yeah, that's my definitely one of the things. Other okay. feeling like don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop giddy giddy. That's old school lick. That's if you say coming to my mind, man. That's a don't stop giddy giddy. That's that's a loop. That's a loop. That's a do the brown. That's exactly. what. Exactly. <laughs> the second one I've said that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, don't stop. That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, <laughs> yeah, don't stop. Don't stop until you, like I say, reach, reach, reach your your goals. Um, I think that's one of the things. It's about persistence, you know. And everybody says it's called a growth mindset, but I go back to persistence. Just be persistent. Don't. When one door closes, another one's going to open up for you. Totally. The third one, conversations are... Conversations are, are, are important to build relationships. I think one of the things that a lot of uh, what I see with the success of students is the fact that they isolate themselves and they don't have uh, built relationships. I think when you get to know someone and, and talk to someone and get to know them on their own personal level, then... You, you get to know who that person is, and it's hard to hate somebody that you know, that you yeah. have a relationship with. There you go. And hence, um, that's one of the, um, we're both in a group called Black and White for Right. Yes, we are. And right, it's focused around conversations. And right. Again, how can we relate if we don't know each other? So, right. Um, let's talk about building leaders and champions of knowledge, mm-hmm. acronym BLACK. Right. And I know one of your, I don't want to say patented inspirational speeches, but this right. is one that you do um, frequently, so I heard. Right. So if that's your signature presentation, can you give us, I mean, obviously, just a, what, what, what stands out to you in that presentation? And give us a little snippet of something that, like, if someone were to hire you to, to make this presentation, what would they? So what, what would they get? get? So yeah. one of the things that I like to focus on are a couple of things is uh, leading with compassion. I think a lot of times uh, we all, we tend to get into that self-doubt, you know, and, and when you see somebody uh, is uh, questioning their ability, you have to be able to go in and show them because they lost a sense of love for whatever they're doing. They didn't, haven't recognized, you know, their success, right? So that's one of the things that you do. The second thing is about sweat equity. You know, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't uh, really focus on is sweat equity, meaning, uh, you know, um, it's not about the monetary. It's not all about that. It's about actually out there getting getting it done. I think one of the reasons why I build this program up that I have right now from just me to, uh, to employees is based upon sweat equity. Uh, initially, when I wanted to get people, it was not, you know, uh, fund. We, we couldn't fund people because, okay. But then I had to show them all that. And then I started developing programs. Like, you know, we had two programs here when I initially came into uh, the Keck School of Medicine. Now, this program, we have eight. 
and that's basically just like grinding, coming in on, on Saturday sometimes to meet with students, coming in and listening to the students. So uh, doing that, I have, it allowed the, 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 my supervisors, the uh, deans, to say, hey, Donovan needs help or we're going to lose him. And that was one of the things that um, I think is very important. Is, uh, we talk all about, you know, about equity, but we don't know, we don't talk enough about sweat equity. And the third thing that I do is that I use build relationship, you know, tell people how to, how to build relationships because, you know, how are students going to come to, you know, see Donovan if Donovan, they don't know Donovan, they don't understand. So sometimes when students come to meet with me and when I meet with students, I talk to them about, okay, you know, this is what's going on, you know, this is what you came to see me. But also, too, I try to build, where are you from? Where you come from? Then I've traveled, know so many people, a place so many different places. And I, I've, I know, like, yesterday I met with this young man. He was from Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'll say, where are you from? He said, he said, from Lincoln. I said, you from Lincoln, Nebraska? I said, he said, I said, what high school do you go to? He said, Southwest. I said, man, I live right, and this is, this is literally a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, I lived in Chanticleer. He said, you live in Chanticleer? I live in Chanticleer, too. I was like, really? Come to find out we were living in Chanticleer in the same, at the same time. So those type of things are very rich. Those are the type of things that really, uh, those really things that really resonate with students and resonate when I come in. I just talk about how do you build a relationship? What is the important in relationship? Like, you know, one of the things that people miss the mark when they miss work with young people's day is pull your pants up. Like, pull your pants up, man. Remember back in the day when, you know, old school where you used to wear jeans where, like, oh, you 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 criminal, you either hood, white shirt, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, back in the day. Now, that's become normal in our society. But one of the things that you do is you just lost that young man, you know what I mean? How can you first meet this person and tell him that his hair, you know, cut your hair, you can have all these designs in your hair, your pants. They don't know you. They don't know what you stand for. They don't know, like, who are you? Yeah. So you need to make sure you got to meet people at where they're at the, at that time and not focus on where you think they should be. Yeah. Because no you too me. Yeah. And no judgment, right, right. from the get-go. You can Like you said, and I, and I think that's what, you know, my generation, I'm going to put myself, I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, our generation, right. that's what we tend to do to the younger generation is that we're trying to make them fit into what we think is right. normal, right. right? Pull your pants up, no lines in your hair, right. uh, why are you on that cell phone so much? Right. That's what they do, right? right. And so, um, so, yeah, we understand there's pros and cons of all that, right. but you know, maybe that's not where we start the, right. the, the relationship. No, that's so. where we should not start the relationship. <laughs> Good. Um, let's do, I, I was going to try to do a, a new little segment. We're going to do that and then one more question and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. So let's see if we can do this new segment and then I want to see if I want to do this in 2019. Okay. So, um, and this segment's called Looks Like. Okay. <laughs> who, who do people say that you look like? Oh man, that's a good one. Car Malone. I get Car Malone. I don't. I don't see it, man. I get Car Malone. Uh, I get Car Malone, and then that's for like, and then I get Bomb B from uh, UGK a lot. Uh-huh. And I got Project. I got Project Pat from people, uh, and then I get Donovan Roy, or I get like you like your mama. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, which one do you think you look like? Man, I think. He's not, man, oh, man, I think. Oh man, I can see what I can see. Bomb B and Project Pat. I can see. You can see well, that. I can see why people say like Bomb B and Project Pat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see that one. 
Other side mama. of that question, who do you think I look like? <laughs> oh, man. There's a few that I get all the time. You, oh, man. I think, only, uh, what's his name? Um, Carlton. Uh, oh, God. I do, get, I do get that one. I don't know why. LaFonso. I get Carlton. LaFonso. I'll even get, um, what was the butler's name on Fresh No, no, nah, nah, you don't yeah, get a lot. Sometimes yeah, I'll do the butler. No. Um, no. say what I thought you were going to say, which, and maybe this beard is throwing everything off, but I used to get Jerry Rice all, all the time. All day. All day, every day. <laughs> That's one. No, Jerry Rice. I used to get that all the day. No, it's um, Jerry Rice. And then recently, this one kind of blew me away. No, Jerry I got Rice. Idris Elba. Yeah, I think it was in. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. But I see Jerry Rice all day. Yeah. And you, dang, that's a good one, man. Yeah, good. All right, so let's end this. And we're going to end it with a segment that we normally do. Sometimes I'll say invent with Trent the Gent was the best invention of all times. I'll say spent with Trent the Gent was the best money you've ever spent. Uh, with you, since you are, you know, you got your hands on a lot of things and... You know, they say 99.999% of the people aren't affecting, you know, the, the world or trying to change the world. And I know that you are. So what we're going to call yours dent with Trent the Gent. So what do you want your dent in the universe to be? The dent that I want to be in, in the universe for me is for to improve, uh, to have more black males engaged in their community. That is the dent that I wanted to uh, teach black males a sense of identity and to let them know that, you know, what we've been taught, you know, is not, you know, meant to, meant for us, it's meant to, you know, keep us in captivity, keep us, um, keep us um, demasc uh, demasculated uh, as males because uh, I think black males uh, go through a very unique um, process than anybody, black women too as well, okay, but black, but especially black men, they try to put us in, um, they, they try to uh, lock us, our young men up. So my whole thing is I want to put a, uh, make a drastic movement for our young black male, males to help them succeed in society. So, you know, one of the things that I hope to do in my lifetime is to have a all black male school for uh, just for black males to go in and create a space for them to succeed and feel welcome and to build that self-identity. K through twelve. K through twelve, yeah. and then the program was continue to support them into well until adulthood. Nice. We just well, cannot stop through at that point. So, you're obviously, you know, I know that you're a man to to follow your dreams yes. and, and your goals. So I can't wait to see this school materialize <laughs> and, yes. and and be a part of it um, myself. So I look thank forward to that. You. <laughs> Let's the listeners know how. What's the best way at the social platforms? Social media, what's the best way to reach down? Wow, right? man, I'm old school, so you know what I mean? You can always hit me up on myself, 562 310 6171. Say that one more time because I just 562 310 6171. Or you can reach me uh, um, through my Gmail, which is uh, Donovan, D O N O V A N. Then we have uh, my middle initial R, then my last name Roy, at gmail.com. Those are the way I haven't uh, gotten into the social media yet because um, 
No, you, I'm you still got working on Facebook, that. so you're just like, yeah. the hell yeah, with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm old school, man. I'm an old school cat, man. I get it. Yeah. So, Donovan, it's been a great, it's been Thank almost you. an hour and 15 minutes. It's Fantastic. been a great conversation Thank with you. you. And, and like you said, um, these conversations are important. Mm-hmm. Um, viewpoints are important. And I'm sure our listeners learned something today right. that they didn't even think about before. Right. And that's always important, too. And so just, you. you know, just think about the things that, that we are talking about and um we're not trying to change anyone's opinion no. we're just trying to say have you ever thought about this yes. just like how you mentioned the band member or the band uh, student getting the, the the full ride right. but he's still able to go out of here and make right. his money right. his or her monies mm-hmm. and meanwhile the athlete can't hmm. and, uh, I want one more thing before i leave one i've always i had a colleague that i should talk to in nebraska she's like well why should football players get paid when they're students and, you know, I should be getting paid as a student to go to college. And I always tell people when they make that is the fact that nobody shows up. A hundred thousand people don't show up to see you take a test. There you go. <laughs> That's the number one reason. Nobody comes to, to school to see, you know what I mean, someone, and, and you he, know what I mean, eat at the cafeteria. They only come to watch these young men beat each other up. And even if she got... A hundred percent on that test and an A, A. No one's gonna buy that test like someone's buying the jersey over here. Amen. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes, All right, Donovan. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you for being a pleasure. And um, I'll see you soon. Thank you. There you have it, students. You can do anything you set your mind to. If you can think it, you can make it come to fruition. Please share this episode with others who might find value in it. Thank you.